0: Gemini Man provides some interesting discussion regarding the justification for cloning, souls stained by accumulated guilt, and nature and nurture. Are you just watching? Episode 97, Gemini Man. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin.
0: And we're here to discuss uh, Twin Man, or The Man with Twins,
1: or... (laughs) (laughs) The twin separated by 25 years. Yeah. (laughs) The 25-year twinship.
0: (laughs) This movie was directed by Ang Lee, and the music was by uh, Lorne Balfe, and a lot of the music in this movie actually was songs so there there was a score but it wasn't as prominent as the songs were so but we will play a little bit of the music
1: I really didn't notice the music in this one at all which <laughs> i don't know if that's good or bad
0: it was there it, it, there was a lot of um rock music that that kind of like in transitions and stuff mm-hmm. i don't really have much to say about Ang Lee as a director i've not don't recall seeing any of his other movies i think mm-hmm. he is not he's more of a drama director than an action director which might explain some of the issues that i had with this
1: movie (laughs) wait a minute you you just said that (laughs) you think he's not an action director he did crouching tiger hidden dragon
0: yeah that's not really an action movie though
1: really i consider it an action movie Uh, what else has he done uh he did hulk oh he did life of pi that definitely wasn't an action movie
0: I think most of those are well. The Hulk definitely is a superhero movie, but the like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I would call more of a science fiction fantasy drama with action in it. But it, it, the action was not in there for the sure. action; it was more in there for the artistic nature of it. It he seems to other than the Hulk,
1: I, I've always considered him an action film director, but I want to say. This is probably only the third one I've seen, fourth one I've seen from him maybe. Uh Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon being the first one. So that's what I've always associated with him with kung fu movie and I knew he was uh Asian, you know, so I probably just Yeah. I probably just made a a really racist uh a, assumption, there. yeah.
0: Yeah, Well, Sense and Sensibility was is a drama of Black That wasn't an Pi's action film. Drama uh, Taking Woodstock I believe was a drama. I some of these movies i don't know i'm assuming ride with the devil i have no clue what that one yes yeah,
1: i don't recognize a lot of them either
0: yeah i don't think he's known i mean other than your perception i don't think he's known for action films hmm. this movie had i think a little bit of a identity problem where it thought it was an action film but it tried to be a drama and there were parts of it where it tried a little too hard to do both <laughs> but I'm a little colored in my opinion, so I'll let you...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought this was a good action film. In particular, I really enjoyed the fight scenes. There were non-fight scene action stuff, like you know the, the whole motorcycle chase and, and stuff like that. But most of that was already trailer fodder. Mm-hmm. We saw it in the trailers and everything. But I thought the the fight scenes, particularly between Henry and Junior were spectacularly well done and very visceral very they felt very real to me at one point they're fighting down in the dirt in the catacombs and and it just devolves into an out and out high school wrestling match
0: <laughs> well one thing you you can say about them is they were very crisp because of the the way they filmed the movie in a higher frame rate so yeah. action didn't blur out. you could actually see all the detail and Typical frame rate movies, you know, when they're moving really fast, it just turns into blurs. And yep. so it can be really messy. And on the big screen, you know, that clean, crisp uh, action where you can discern every move is is really spectacular.
1: It's a lot of people I'd read about. They went to see the movie specifically because of the frame rate, the 120 frames per second that he that he filmed it in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I went to see it with two young men that I work with. And they they were... Uh, both basically going to see the, the high-definition fight oh. scenes. And okay. they were both very uninspired by the movie. And so I think that their reactions kind of maybe has painted in mine mm-hmm. a little bit because I, I felt disconnected in the movie. I felt like there was some major plot holes um, no. and some yeah. scientific plot holes that were glaring. Um, there was too much bouncing around. It was like the protagonists... We saw them actually getting sort of leaving point A anyway, and then they're suddenly in point B. But the the antagonist uh, or junior, it, he's not really; he's partially the antagonist and partially part of the protagonist. He kind of changes camps halfway he's, through.
1: He's a redemptive character.
0: <laughs> yeah, he bounces around without any. It doesn't even feel real. It's like one minute he's back home with you know, his father figure and the next minute he's facing them off and he seems to always get there ahead of them. Yeah. Magically appearing traveling. Yeah. Just magically appearing in like five different places without any transition as to how he got there. And I felt like there were enough of those that they kind of built on each other to the point where it made the movie feel very fake to me. Mm. That fakeness affected everything. By the end of the movie, I was just kind of like, "Okay, that was kind of boring."
1: I could definitely see it having that effect. I, it's, I actually, I wanted to see this movie. First off, I I liked the premise. I liked the whole science fiction questioning stuff, like cloning. Talk about that in a in a theme and a, a little bit later. I really liked the the way they're using CG to do stuff like de aging, and they're really getting very good with the de aging in this one. Junior is a much younger version of Will Smith and he's played by Will Smith and then computer de-aged and I was thinking, you know, they that if it were like as bad as uh the Tron not remake but the Tron sequel from what about 10 years ago that I thought was was very distracting. But junior you notice it if you're specifically looking for it you you notice That he looks just a little too real, you know, Uh, a little not real enough, uncanny, (laughs) a a little too much on the wrong side of the uncanny valley. Yeah, but I I felt it was easy to suspend my disbelief and just ignore it.
0: Yeah, that that didn't bother me nearly as much as some of the plot holes. So. The the other thing that bugged me, and I didn't mean to turn the initial reactions into all the things about the movie <laughs> that bugged Eve, but the other thing that really bugged me was the buildup of Henry as having this like, me- like everything going wrong, everything, you know, he's allergic to bees, he's an insomniac, he's mm. got all of this on his conscience. It's like, when he starts rattling them off in the movie, it's like, okay, let's just le- heap every. Personality foible that you can think of to—I mean, it was just like too much. It was like like Angley needed all this drama in the movie, and so he he put it all on one character, <laughs> and it was like that's not how you create drama.
1: that's you know, I don't I don't see that as being the case. It he it, clearly you know the allergic to bees and and the cilantro gene were both included. But I felt everything pretty much everything else that the movie referenced or he specifically said in that one scene. I thought it was a commentary on the effects of his conscience. Stuff like the insomnia and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I thought it was important part of the story to speak to how Henry's character had changed.
0: Well, I yeah, and we're going to discuss that at yeah. length later on in the theme. It was just that to me it was just it it was like a, a straw too many like, kind yeah. of thing. It's like it it was like in an attempt to make him look like a character who had seen too much, been gone too far. That they went just a teensy bit past mm. what was realistic, and the whole point of the, his character was that he was like the super assassin. So yeah. they chose him because he was super assassin to be cloned and the whole idea of of one man being capable of that kind of perfection and then at the same time having all of these issues i i don't know i just felt like the the character was too much too much too much everything
1: i can see where you're coming from i don't have mm-hmm. the same opinion but yeah, um well, but yeah. it, i think i'm also more tolerant of those superhero type character um there's a name for it in in writing but i don't remember what it is so <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i i have to admit that there were there were things i did like about the movie i love will smith and just mm. about i i will i would have gotten to see the movie even if it and it does have pretty lousy reviews right now if you look yeah, out there it does. Um, it, it's this movie has not been met with much critical acclaim but will smith makes it worth seeing and the other character that i really really or actor i should say that i really really like is benedict wong what? yeah i i think he's in and i'm glad that he got a really good role in this one though yeah. it's always funny that he he almost always does the the sidekick he i don't know that i've ever seen him in a movie where he's the lead but he makes a good sidekick. <laughs> yeah.
1: I bet he'd make a good lead. We're going to have to seek out a movie where he is the main character.
0: Yeah. Like I
1: said before, I one of the reasons that I was interested in this movie was for the premise. But I mm-hmm. have to agree that while I think it started out pretty strong story-wise, things started falling apart as more pieces – it was sort of like, you know, you lay out the puzzle and and you get all the edge pieces put together and and you start working on the towards the inside of the puzzle and that's when you realize, oh wait a minute, that piece doesn't even go to this puzzle.
0: Well, you know, it might very well be that it was edited poorly. It no, might that's be true. that that if they release a director's cut that it might make more sense and transition better, mm-hmm. it may have been that he was forced to cut it down for time and lost some valuable things that yeah. that would have connected the movie better. That has happened, and that has destroyed movies in the past. The movie abyss comes to mind that movie was oh yeah. Did not come out to much critical acclaim. It was actually, you know, people just didn't like the ending of it. And then they came out with the director's cut, which was way too long. (laughs) But it made the movie make sense. And I will give this movie the credit that it may be, uh, you know, final edit issues that I'm Mm. complaining about.
1: I I don't know. It's I still enjoyed the movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was a bad movie. I think it was actually a good movie. But I don't think it was a great movie.
0: Yeah. Mine's an okay. It's an okay. This is movie. a cheap night
1: movie for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a Tuesday night yeah. movie, you know. <laughs> Go see it when it's five dollar seats.
0: A couple things that we could say about it was that it did have some bad language in it. Oh yeah. Will Smith's character Henry yeah. is very fond it actually of Cass Word.
1: Had a lot more bad language than I'm used to hearing in PG thirteen films. Yeah, I almost I, think they I almost may have feel like the they have changed the standard.
0: Yeah. Well, they didn't use the F word as much. It was the S word. And S word seems to be getting a little bit more accepted. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if I remember reading it when we were talking about the Martian, um, they said that you're only allowed, I think, like two F words before it bumps it into R. I remember. Yeah. So that there there are certain, you know, contexts of words and stuff that, that cause the rating. So. And we saw this in Peanut Butter Falcon as well. There was some bad mm-hmm. language in that one. So it seems to be coming uh, more acceptable to throw in those words.
1: Yeah. It's a shame.
0: There wasn't a sex scene in this movie. So that was a plus.
1: There was that scene where Danny had to get uh, undressed to prove that she wasn't wearing a wire. Yeah, But even that was just down to relatively modest underwear.
0: Yeah and then they they switched to her back so you weren't seeing her front side. Yeah. And and raised the camera level so that when he was, you know, I guess checking to make sure she didn't have wires that mm-hmm. they weren't actually showing him feel, feeling her up or anything. Yeah. So they they did that in a fairly modest way. It for the most part The movie was mostly clean, so Mm -hmm. I don't know that that would be an issue not to see it other than, you know, the bad words, which if you want to get a count of the bad words, I recommend that you check uh, pluggedin.com review to get that.
1: Even the violence wasn't all that bloody.
0: Yeah. All
1: right. So, (sighs) uh, shall we uh, sound the spoiler alarm at this point?
0: Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Spoilers Um, from here on out. Yep,
1: it's we are no longer going to hide anything.
0: Not that there's much to hide. No. (laughs) You know, the
1: the trailers really did give out quite a lot on this one, didn't they? Yeah. (laughs) I feel like the premise was much more 1970s and origins, but it it was a very, a much more simple premise than I think we see in many science fiction films today. But Mm -hmm. I was okay with it because simple premises, when done really well, can be very effective.
0: Oh, I'd be interested to see it done really well. Then, oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just had
1: to go there. Sorry, right. I'm used to me being right and you being wrong.
0: I'm okay with that.
1: <laughs> is that true? Uh, is that
0: true? Come on.
1: <laughs> I plead the fifth. So there are uh, a couple of uh, very interesting themes in here. We're going to save the best for last, which is see the, uh, the discussion based around. The premise, actually, <laughs> the mm-hmm. scientific, and I'm putting scientific in air quotes, premise of the, of the cloning. But, uh, the next big theme for me was the weight of the guilt and the, mm-hmm. uh, the way that the character of Henry uses that, that realization of his, of his flaws and how he has changed for the worst as a result of his career how the guilt that he has been carrying quietly has corrupted him from the inside
0: yeah i think that probably the quickest and easiest way to show that is to to actually give some of these quotes because yeah when we do a movie uh, that's in the theater we can't play the quotes for you but this was really interesting the one that caught my eye uh, was that when he's talking to his handler about retirement, he says, 72 kills, that stuff starts to mess with you. Deep down, it's like my soul is hurt. I just want some peace. Yeah. So this is a man who is just suffering from this pile of guilt that he's killed 72 people. And I can't even imagine what that's like, because I've never yeah. killed one. But, you know, that that is... I have
1: trouble stepping on spiders.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, Another one that keeps coming up through – it's kind of woven through the whole thing is that he can't uh, look at himself in a mirror. He's yeah, avoiding mirrors.
1: I like that one because that one spoke to me more than I think any of the rest was uh, uh, finding myself avoiding mirrors lately.
0: But I do that all the time anyway, and it has nothing to do with <laughs> guilt.
1: <laughs> I just avoid, you know, standing in profile in the mirror.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I definitely have the face for radio, so
1: yeah. I, I really <laughs> – the face for radio and the voice for newspaper is what i was told (laughs) just to give some background uh what's happening here is that uh henry has discovered that the man who is hunting him is a much younger version of himself not a son but a clone it's a clone yeah but it's Mm -hmm. I think in your notes somewhere, you had commented that he's like a twin 25 years removed. Oh yeah. You had said it earlier. He's a twin 25 years removed, which I think is, is a a really good way to look at it. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's trying to prove to junior, the, the clone that he is him. So he goes off and he starts spouting off all this stuff that is going to be the same with him. And one thing is that he's allergic to bee stings, which I have to say, the audience was sort of hit over the head with that one earlier in the movie. Uh, (laughs) And I don't
0: think that bee allergies are necessarily genetic either, because it it, they can be accumulative. Like if you've been stung too many, yeah, that was one of the what I consider a scientific plot hole. Is a lot of these things that he's just assuming Junior is going to be, and we we're going to discuss that later. But I can't. That that to me was like, just because it's happened to you doesn't mean your clone is going to have the same yeah. experience.
1: Yeah, I, I now that I think about it, I do know that uh, poison ivy allergies are not necessarily genetic either, because I'm not allergic to poison ivy. Um, but I know it's because of uh, something that happened when I was much, much younger. Mm-hmm. But one that he did mention that was genetic was he hates cilantro. He thinks cilantro tastes like soap, and uh that's definitely a genetic trait it It falls into the same category as the the smell of asparagus pea um and there was one other one Brussels sprouts uh there are people like myself who can't stand the taste of Brussels sprouts. They just taste wrong no matter how they're cooked. Um, has I, I something like to do Brussels with being sprouts. able to taste sulfur in it or something like that. But my aunt is someone who cilantro tastes like soap to. And we were actually talking oh. about it uh, uh, at the family reunion over Labor Day weekend. Uh, I I like the taste of cilantro, but they can't stand it.
0: <laughs> but we were talking about sin.
1: Yes. Yes, we are. So he goes off and he starts talking about how the 72... Kills that his life as an assassin for the government has really eaten away at his soul. And he does something that, when I was watching the movie, sort of felt like he was making a confession of sin. He went from trying to convince Junior that uh, they were the same person to sort of like confessing his past, the past that Junior has not yet built up to. And that put me in the mind of confessing. I don't believe the director meant it that way in as far as confessing of sin. But I do think that he meant the whole importance of the weight of the guilt that Henry had from decades of being a uh, a soldier and agent and assassin. And some of the scriptures that came to mind for me, Jeremiah 3.13 Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord, your God, and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. And uh, that's where Jeremiah is is telling the people what they are doing wrong and what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And there's another one where David is, I, I didn't actually look to see, I think Psalm 51 is a Psalm of David. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's important that you recognize your sinful nature. Uh, it's an important element of being saved. Mm. You have to acknowledge that you are subject to the justice of God, that you can never be good enough. I feel like Henry has come to that level where he has come to an understanding about how flawed he is, and he just needs to take the next step and realize who he has sinned against.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, the concept of him confessing his sin, I don't think he sees it necessarily as sin, but as, you know, just an accumulation of guilt. I I, I don't know that he equates the guilt with an actual sin there mm-hmm. i think it's just you know i know that what i'm doing he has a conscience basically he's he's acknowledging the fact that he's human and he has a conscience and that is is important because that's what hinges the the whole underlying context of creating the perfect soldier is you know creating somebody who has his skills without his pain yeah. and so i i really feel like you know the whole reason why it became so much of a, you know, an important part of the movie to have him continually harping on how guilty he felt was because they wanted to contrast him with, you know, the reason why they were cloning him was they wanted his skills, but not his pain. Right. And they they didn't want somebody to that would have that conscience of the fact that murder is wrong. And if I kill 72 people, that's got to reflect on my somehow on my soul. Mm-hmm. I get your point, you know, that we should take that next step. And obviously the movie is not going that direction because the secular aspect of the movie is saying, let's just program that out of people so that they don't feel the guilt. Yeah. They can they can do the evil without feeling the guilt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that guilt is so important. It's, it's such, what
0: makes us human.
1: You know, there's the whole backstory that they allude to in the in the movie. You know, Henry was part of a unit... And, uh, his good friend Jack, who dies early in the movie, was in the unit and Baron was in the unit with him. You know, they have this toast, uh, that they, that they do every time they drink together. Here's to the next war, which is no war. Uh, you get this real sense of, of camaraderie. Um, mm-hmm. the head of this, this multinational biotech company, uh, government contractor company, is clay varis and he was in this unit with them right and he i think was a good contrast to henry he was what happens when you don't let the guilt get to you
0: Mm -hmm. or you learn the wrong lessons from it
1: Uh, yeah exactly It, it he decides that everything he does that is evil is still going to serve the greater good.
0: Yeah, he has justifications for everything.
1: Yeah, Uh, that got me in mind of Isaiah 520, (laughs) which seems very pertinent to today's uh, politics. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It just shows how twisted your perception can get if you decide that that guilt, you know, isn't serving a purpose, Mm -hmm. that uh, you you put it aside. Although I am curious, let's presume for the moment, even though we know in the movie it sets us up as not the case, but let's presume for the moment that all 72 kills that Henry made were valid kills directed by the United States government. Do you think Henry bears a moral responsibility for those kills?
0: That's an interesting question. I believe that his that he bears some of it, maybe not all of it mm. because he makes the choice to become a weapon in someone else's hand rather than to think things out for himself and determine. Mm. Cause like, I mean, his final kill was the one where they said they were going to be able to hold it against him because he believed it. They had told him it was a terrorist, but they'd lied to him and he yeah. killed somebody who was just a, a scientist. And so when you be, you let yourself become a weapon in the hands of evil people, then you, you have to bear some guilt for that because you're no longer taking um, – respons- you're, you're handing off the responsibility for those choices to someone else. And yeah. you have to be at least partially guilty for that, yeah, for making the conscience choice not to think things through for yourself.
1: It's, I I don't think that he had any reason to believe that he was working for – uh it, you know, based on the very little information we get in the movie that he was working for somebody who was anything other than um, the expressed will of the united states government not until not until Jack reached out to him at the very end and even then i i think i don 't think he had i that 's where that 's where the line is for me. I think he was rightly carrying guilt for killing these people but i don't think he carried moral responsibility because he was acting on uh on the legal orders of his government um but i i tend towards you know following legal orders as being a moral choice because you know i think back to vietnam and and the united states code of military justice uh which is the primary level of protection that service members have uh, throughout the armed services, where they can refuse an unlawful order. Right. But if the order is lawful, then they're taking the amoral choice, or they're, um, they're breaking the law, rather, by uh, not following a lawful order. Um, and sometimes not following a lawful order is the moral, the moral thing to do. Because right. the law isn't perfect,
0: right? Well, and I think that part of it is, you know, not just the refusal, but what he did for a living. I mean, the the average soldier is not trained to, and required to be a an assassin who goes around no. and, and shoots targets. So oh, Henry
1: was not the average soldier.
0: <laughs> no, he wasn't the average soldier. But when you go into black ops and train as an assassin. As somebody Mm. who is literally trained to kill people, that's what. It's not even a warlike situation. It's not even a warlike situation where you're you're sent out to take out specific targets in an Mm. in an you know. There's no war. I mean, they mean. Granted, they may be preventing wars or whatever, but just his choice of career, you know, to choose to be an assassin is. You know I I don't see any. Well, I'm not a soldier, so I I've never had to think that out for myself beyond the fact that I, you know, carry a gun for self-defense. I would never shoot somebody in cold blood. It would be yeah. in in personal defense of me or of somebody I love. I, I'm not going to go hunt somebody down and put a bullet through their head, which is technically what he was doing. Granted, someone well, else was giving him the targets, but yeah.
1: It's, and he had to trust that those people giving him the targets. I mean. Let's face it, in reality, if this happens in reality, and I'm not even convinced that it does, right. but in reality, it is teams of analysts and people who look at the potential target and they say, okay, if this person is allowed to continue what he's doing, this is what's going to happen. So when he pulls the trigger, or when, you know, a real person who does this for a living pulls the trigger, He has to believe his actions are going to prevent an atrocity or a horrible thing. I I think that's the only way you could go to sleep at night. Uh, And
0: and as we can see, Henry doesn't go to sleep at night. Whether or not somebody in that position needs to feel guilt. I think it is in the human conscience that there's no way that you can murder 72 people in cold blood, regardless of whether or not they were good guys, bad guys, targets or how justified their death was. You can't do that without it accumulating guilt on your soul. And and the fact that Henry notices that, I don't think that it's even worth the discussion of whether or not he should feel guilty. The fact of the matter is, and I think that this would be the case of any uh, good person. Uh, in that kind of situation I don't think you can be a good person and stay in that kind of situation you would have to mm. be like Henry and need to get out eventually because it would just become to the point of self-loathing we couldn't live with yourself anymore Yeah. if it doesn't bring you to the point where you can't live with it anymore then you're probably a psychopath
1: and in charge of a large biotech company that provides uh, super soldiers to the United States government
0: yes, yes so, All right. Yeah,
1: I wanted to briefly talk, and this probably would have been better under initial impressions, maybe. But you had mentioned a number of, uh, you know, plot holes, and one of the things that bugged you was that Junior managed to travel <laughs> magically from Colombia to <laughs> Hungary to Georgia, and well, always seemed to actually, get their head.
0: Yeah, he was. He actually went from Colombia to Georgia to Hungary yeah. to Georgia, and he just pops up in Georgia, and then he pops up in Hungary, and then he pops, you know, it's just like, yeah, it bugged me.
1: All via a tracking RFID chip that was, you know, in Henry's arm, which still astounds me. Anyway. (laughs) Mark of the Beast. you, You saw them as plot holes, and what I felt like Ang Lee was doing was he was intentionally leaving things unsaid. He was intentionally letting the audience fill in the gaps. And I actually appreciated that. I find that movies over the last decade or so, they really seem to be leaning more and more towards identifying every single little detail and leaving nothing to chance, no imagination, nothing to come in. And I appreciated that there was a lot of stuff that Angley just felt like he didn't need to answer in this, and the reason I wanted to bring it up was because it was it reminiscent for me of how two people can read the exact same chapter of the Bible and come away with one, a common divine truth but two different applications, completely different applications to their lives within the guidelines of that divine truth. Does that make sense?
0: It does, but I'm not entirely sure I agree with you. Okay. And the reason being is that scripture is God's truth and it is only revealed to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So we're not coming away with different impacts or worldviews or experiences or anything we are, um, being spoken to by God by, from scripture. So it's not, it was like Paul said, you know, that it's it's total nonsense to people who are not, uh, in the Holy spirit. So it's, it's not left unsaid it is controlled. It's a living breathing document that is controlled by the Holy spirit in our lives. And so I don't see that as being, you know, a truth that's open to interpretation. No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all.
1: No, but everybody has a different application for it within their lives. Uh, Not a a variant application for it within their lives.
0: Right. But I don't think that's reading scripture differently or filling in details that aren't there. I think that's just, you know, practical knowledge of how, you know, X Y or Z verse works in X Y and Z's life, you know, as mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a good combination with a director who leaves a lot of holes in his <laughs> story that he's expecting Again, I, to I don't think in. they were whole.
1: <laughs> well, it, it I there were definitely some holes, but I I don't <laughs> think they were all holes. Um I, I think it was as much for me frustration over directors who don't leave anything to the imagination
0: yeah well this one definitely had holes i don't think ann lee was leaving details up for people's imagination i think he was just leaving them out
1: (laughs) Uh, i think there may have been both
0: i don't know that we're going to agree on that so we can move on
1: yeah (laughs) moving on that's fine
0: yeah we, we are next theme and i think that the next two themes are going to go hand in hand because i think yep. they're they're one and the same just slight, you know like two ends of the same bone kind of thing mm. the imago dei which is the image of god it's just the fancy way of saying you know yeah. in genesis it says that we were created Latin. in the yeah we were created in the image of god and there's a lot of ethics involved with the whole concept of cloning because uh, we believe as pro life christians and i know i can say that cuz you and i agree on the abortion issue oh, that yeah. that we are human we are created in the image of god from the moment of conception we are genetically unique individuals who are actual personages from conception even if we aren't viable and are not can't live outside our mom's womb we are still yeah we are still unique individuals in the eyes of God and he created us for a purpose and to follow his will and to bring him glory. With that said, when you bring cloning into the argument, you end up with this whole idea of people as tools, as,
1: as man's own creation.
0: Yeah. As man's own creation that you can uh, discard with as ever you please uh, kind of idea. The idea that if you just clone somebody, you're going to end up, um, with a duplicate that is then, I guess, disposable or, yeah. you know, to your will. And it's very iffy. And I'm glad that for the most part, cloning is still a kind of a an ethical nightmare uh, from uh, that. We haven't fallen so far that we're just willing to pursue that without examining the ethical ideas of it. But there, there look, are
1: scientists who claim to have done it. It's, I want to say yeah. in China or something. Yeah. Uh, but it but it's still roundly Frowned condemned. Upon. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But this movie it allows us to play with the concept, you know, that like you said, it's the underlying premise of the whole thing, it allows us to discuss this issue. Mm-hmm. Which is what science fiction is really good about, is it gives yeah. us the ability to discuss issues without it being a real life dilemma to discuss. But I, before we get too deep into this, I did want to bring up the fact that this is scientifically, this movie is scientifically inaccurate because so oh, far, definitely. <laughs> so far, everything that we know about cloning, like when they cloned Dolly, the sheep, which the timing of this movie makes it sound like they were creating Henry's clones about the same time as Dolly. So yeah, it would I, I want to say
1: even they suggested that it was before that they cloned Henry before Dolly
0: yeah something like that but yeah which was crazy
1: yeah Yeah.
0: but what we've discovered from cloning is at least so far they have not been able to get sale cells that are healthy enough from an adult specimen to create a clone that is not aging at the same rate as the the creature that they cloned the specimen they cloned so if you cloned an adult male then the clone would be aging at the same destructive rate as an adult human. So you would end up with an old young clone. That's that's because we actually, um, you're you're
1: saying that the, like the telomeres and would be mm -hmm, shortened and everything.
0: Right. So you would end up with an, you wouldn't end up with a a baby that would age naturally to adulthood they wouldn't live very long and yeah. because their genes are already old. And so it's, they haven't been able to solve that problem. I think that probably they would have to get the genetic material from probably the embryonic uh, status in order to get something that was still had the healthy stem cells and stuff yeah. to be able to grow at a normal rate. So uh, cloning is so far, thankfully not a viable scientific Process at this point. I could be wrong. I'm not up with the. I know that that was what was wrong with Dolly's. uh, Was that that she aged too fast? So,
1: well, God willing, it will never be
0: a viable thing.
1: (laughs) At least not you know for for humans.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we don't want to go there. But all in all, if you think about it, really. Anytime that identical twins are born, they're clones of each other because right. they have the yeah. same genetic makeup. They're, it's a, they're the, they they split at such an early stage that they are genetically identical. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, they're like uh, op, like opposites of each other, but yeah. um, they are they have the same genetic structure.
1: So. And there there have been dozens upon dozens of uh, identical twin studies mm-hmm. that completely fly in the face of the uh, the the premise of
0: this movie <laughs> the
1: antagonist of of the movie you know seeking to replicate henry's skill and talent
0: without his pain
1: without the the damage yeah yeah um so it, the the guy clay varis um a couple quotes that uh really highlight his frame of mind mm-hmm. he's talking about old soldiers and he says that uh, that they wear out, they, they grow a conscience, which I thought was particularly interesting how he equated wearing out to actually feeling guilty about what they've yeah. done. right. Which also speaks to, you know, the young ones that they don't feel that guilt. And, and uh, maybe that's something that we should be teaching them to do. Mm-hmm and uh it, it, i actually another... think i was
0: hearing that in the discussion recently i was trying to remember now where I, whether it was a podcast i was listening to but they were talking about the fact that we have young people today get today are not taught ethics or morals in school or mm-hmm. anywhere and so it's because we have such a, a low regard for ethics that we have people uh, you know who are being raised to just be disrespectful and
1: yeah no moral absolutes we can't teach them anymore
0: we can't teach moral absolutes anymore and so we have a whole generation maybe even two generations now who have been raised with no ethical or moral concerns and so and it has and it's a problem when you when you see the disrespectfulness and the lack of of care and uh they care about the wrong things instead of the right things and it's just it we are raising a younger generation. We've deprogrammed them um, yeah. from a conscience and, and, and an ethic, moral, ethical morality, and it's sad.
1: Uh, there was a, another quote from Varus that spoke to his frame of mind for me, uh, where he said, men like Henry are, are born to be collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was speaking in the frame of government operations and how when you're done with an assassin, you can't let him retire. You got to kill him. Right. And that really does speak those two for me in particular talk to how he considers everybody under him, everybody that that does tasks for him
0: they're just tools. Just tools. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Tools to be used and thrown away once they're broken. Their purpose the the purpose of the tool is to further his own projects and goals. And uh that is just so contrary to not only to being a leader, because it, it's, I know I've discussed this before, probably ad infinitum, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that being a leader is actually being a servant. Mm-hmm. But well, it also denies, not. Are. <laughs> yeah. The good leaders are servants first. Yes, um, But his attitude flies in the face of uh, being created in the image of God. And for for me, Psalm eight, five, and six. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And when Varus considers people this way, he is trying to take away that divine right, that divine proclamation of the position of man on the planet
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that bugs me uh, and clay varus you know he's fictional but right. there are people out there i have worked for some <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a lot of them in our government unfortunately
1: yeah yeah it's, they could easily believe any of this
0: yeah yeah. And it's sad because that's, that's where the sinful corrupted soul goes because it's mm-hmm. all, it, it all becomes a selfish endeavor. You're always going for the thing that makes you, uh, that brings you the best. And yeah. you think of yourself first and nobody else. And you put people like that in power and, and everybody else becomes a tool to their desire for, for control and for power, for money, wealth, whatever it is. They'll step on anybody to get it. Because they have no ethics, no morals, and no godly conscience,
1: even when they think they're doing it for the right reason, I mean, you take an unsaved billionaire who who donates millions and millions of dollars a year to charitable causes mm-hmm. he's still not doing it for the right reasons. he cannot yeah. do it for the right reasons. It is impossible, yeah, without the holy spirit within his within his soul, mm-hmm.
0: right one of the things that had he had said that really brought out to me was when he was justifying his idea for cloning armies. And he he said that, and I'm paraphrasing because I didn't get the whole, all the quotes down, but he, mm-hmm. he claimed he wanted to make the world safer uh, because he could use program clones to fight wars so that families wouldn't lose their sons and veterans didn't come home with PTSD. And so he would just edit out all of those emotions and grow soldiers in a vat you know and and send them out to fight the wars and we and it would the world would be safer and people wouldn't have to grieve over their soldiers and yeah that was his justification but when i when i picture that in my head i'm like that would turn war into what that would turn war into is just because the whole point Of fighting a war is because that you you're fighting for something you believe in and there there's a an essence of the objective is overwhelming to the point where you can live with it with your conscience of it's worth the human cost because of the the objective is worth doing but if you Mm -hmm. all you have is toy soldiers that you're playing with that don't have a conscience that there's no impact to losing one then war becomes a game of chess in which the pawns mean nothing and the human cost becomes you, i don't i it's really hard to put into words but yeah i hear that, you that picture of the, of the world that would be where we no longer cared about our soldiers i i don't want to live in that world no matter yeah. how safe it might be i don't think it would be safe personally
1: you know it's i i want to say that the the idea of editing out emotions mm-hmm. and conscience like that is just too far beyond reality to be feasible. But, you know, we live in a fallen world and we have people in both in history and in, in present who are incapable of feeling emotions.
0: Well, um, I mean, we're, like I just said earlier, we can do it just as a matter of education. It doesn't have to be something you breed out of people yeah. from a genetic standpoint. All you have to do is raise them a certain way. And, you know, you end up with that anyway. I mean, you, if you withhold a good upbringing that teaches them respect and ethics and morals mm-hmm. and all of that stuff, that isn't something that you get genetically. That's something that you get from your environment.
1: It's. I think. I think there is a potential for genetic uh, component there, but I, I think you're right. I think it is primarily a nurture rather than nature. Which there's a show on right now called Prodigal Son mm-hmm it's i watched the first episode of it it was terrible <laughs> i mean i I, could, I couldn't even finish the first episode but the premise is that it's the son of a serial killer who is now working for the fbi mm-hmm. and it, i i don't know that that's actually the case but there there may be a genetic element to it i don't know um but i think yeah i think it is i think it is entirely environment and, and how you're raised.
0: Yeah. Well, and definitely the sin curse makes us bad people to start with. So any kind of environment that teaches us how to hedge our bets, I guess, on our own sinful nature is useful in that it it teaches us to to push beyond that initial sinful instinct that we all Mm -hmm. have. And so I think that basically environment or the nurture would override... What we are naturally, and so yeah. genetically, I, I think that coming by a conscience and being a good person, uh, or even feeling the need to be a good person, I think that almost has to be completely environmental. Where the other direction is is natural.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: if it, if that makes sense.
1: And you know, uh, Varus he raised Junior mm-hmm. from uh, you know being an infant. Convincing him that he was an orphan that was adopted, so he intentionally engineered the nurture portion portion of his upbringing. So I can see I could see how he could engineer that to emphasize the skills that, that he wants Junior to have. Yeah, and well, they talk a little bit about that, yeah, you know, with did. the hunting and everything, right? And uh, actually, Henry even used that as part of his speech to convince jr that he was Ferris on the wrong side was, yeah, yeah. A very
0: very bad guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well and you know the thing was is that he kept saying he wanted henry's talents without his pain but the question that that raised for me was what if his talents were a result of his pain i mean you yeah. can't you can't necessarily det- detach one from the other, uh, especially that kind of skill. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to be a expert assassin. And one of the comments that they, you know, that junior and hit Hen- and Henry both claimed was, you know, they were only happy when they were on their belly lining up a site. Um, yep. that, that concept of this is where you find your true happiness. I would suspect has to be environmental. That has to come from, Um, not having found happiness anywhere else and it's not that they can't find happiness anywhere else it's that in their upbringing they didn't have any other option and so varus i guess paralleled henry's upbringing just enough in order to to get that same conclusion out of junior but it's not a foregone conclusion that you would raise a clone in a completely different environment that they would come out exactly like um the person they were cloned of
1: yeah it's it it it, it is it belies the complexity of the the human psyche and mm-hmm. how we take in every single experience and it builds who
0: we are, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, but still, you know, it's a it's a premise of a science fiction movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that it from that aspect, though, I think they were saying something about humanity that I think was definitely scientifically false, but I think it's biblically false as well. And uh, the idea that we are what we what our genes tell us to be um, takes us back to that whole concept. Social concept now is that you're born that way and you just have to live with it. And the rest of the world is just going to have to live with the fact that you're born that way. And there's no room in there for grace. There's no room for uh, for redemption. And there's Mm -hmm. no room for. I guess, turning your life around and going a different direction. And and that's what you see Henry wanting to do. And it's interesting to me that at the end of the movie, where they try and wrap it up and everybody lives happily ever after, yeah. that it's <laughs> that it's um, Junior who is making the change for the better, not Henry. And though Henry is saying that he can look and he's starting to be able to look in the mirror again, it's, it's Junior who is going to make the world a better... He's going to go out and do something good. And yeah. so... I I felt that was it was kind of like they were saying that Henry was going to have a different. He was going to get to relive his life a different direction through Junior. That <laughs> vicariously. Was, vicariously, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I do that with my kids.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's true. That's how I think parents do that a lot through their children. It's like we and there was actually the statement in the movie where uh, near it was right there at the end where they were haggling over what junior was going to major in in college oh yeah yeah and and uh and henry made the comment was you don't want to go you don't want to do that and he says well why not he says i already tried that you try this you know and he says I, I already made that mistake so you don't have to oh, make yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So it,
1: um, But I wanna make I wanna make the mistakes make my, too. I wanna
0: make my some of those mistakes myself. So there yeah, yeah there was that, that idea that I've already been there, I've already done that, I can already tell you and we do that with our kids all the time. And I don't oh, yeah. have children, but I've I've taught children in, in church and I keep trying to get them to you know don't do that. I've made that mistake mm. already. You don't wanna go that way. Learn from my mistakes, don't do that. And so there is a little bit of that in the movie which I thought was good. That was about the only part of that relationship that I liked, (laughs) but it it was that whole concept that you end up being the same person because your genes make you that way. And that was definitely what they were implying throughout the movie. It just doesn't fit with what we know about DNA and the fact that we know that nurture plays so much. Uh, is such a strong aspect of who kids grow up to be. And if we mm-hmm. lose track of the importance of nurture, then we will end up with de-emphasizing it or even taking, we're seeing it more and more where the state is taking more and more responsibility for our children. Mm-hmm. And parents are taking less of the burden Um, and they should be raising their kids, actively raising their kids. And if the state is trying to take your kids away from you through indoctrination in school or whatever, you need to be in control of that. You can't just step back and say, well, the government's going to do it. I don't have to because exactly you do not want to see what will become of your children when you let the state raise your kids or TV, raise your kids or (laughs) anything raise your kids you should be actively doing it yourself because nurture is so important it defines who we are in in more ways than um we can possibly imagine i mean the, the idea the backstory on henry it sounds like that he did not have the best upbringing uh, he had a they made the comment yeah, ab- of saying a, that he didn't abusive have a father abusive father Ferris kept saying uh to junior that he wanted to see what Henry would have become with a dedicated present father that he was the dedicated present father. He kept telling junior, I was the dedicated present father,
1: yeah <laughs> it, I keep, don't... it it me thinks thou does protest too much
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he could have been a dedicated present father and be running multiple clones things and and a multi you know national company that is yeah, I don't know how present he actually was, but...
1: Drop everything was... and run to Washington to uh, to handle a rogue <laughs> agent. Yeah. If I had to put a, a percentage on it, in reality, I would say it's like 98% nurture and 2% nature.
0: <laughs> well, I... Uh,
1: and even that, I'm thinking maybe it should be less nature. <laughs> yeah. There are genetic problems that cancer is one that runs in families and, mm-hmm. you know, heart disease and everything in that that informs how we how we live and how we develop but uh not anywhere near as much as as they
0: seem to imply in this movie
1: yeah exactly that
0: that you could just walk up to a clone of yourself and say you have problems with this and 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 you're just like this and you do this and you do this and this has happened to you and this happened to you you can't do that because everybody's experience is different yeah. And it doesn't matter. I mean, you can take two identical twins born of the same mother at the same time and raised separately and they are completely different people. Mm-hmm. Because how nurtured... many identical
1: twins are born of different mothers, just out of curiosity?
0: I'm thinking from the standpoint of cloning because yeah. you technically cloning is creating a twin. So it
1: True, very true.
0: Thankfully, hopefully that there isn't some secret project going on somewhere where they're actually managing to do this. I'm really praying they haven't because it does it. In my mind, a clone would be a human person because they are, uh, they are as a unique, a genetic arrangement as a twin would be a, mm-hmm. a, an identical twin would be. So, uh, and they would probably end up having a lot of problems because we are man and we can't do what God does. So even cloning, I think we would make mistakes and yeah. the, the resulting individual would would uh, be handicapped by those mistakes, and so we're only f- tracing what God does.
1: <laughs> it's it, you know what even if they came out perfect, it, we would still be called to treat them with love.
0: Yeah, um, still be the, in the, the
1: exact same way we would treat any other person, the same way we want to be treated.
0: Right, exactly, and I think that comes. You know this this comes with the debate of you know, in in vitro fertilization where we end up with uh, embryos who are never brought to life um, through development, frozen embryos. And I I think that's a real, a real conflict of interest for Christians. And I, and I know Mm -hmm. a lot of Christians struggle with that when they are uh, incapable of having children, you know, to go into this program and have, you know, a hundred embryos created or however many, I don't even know how many they create, but yeah uh i know a lot it's of it's a
1: real concern
0: it is a real concern because you you are not just discarding tissue there you are discarding a a legitimate human being who has been conceived and uh maybe conceived outside of the mother but they're still uh, conceived and so uh and i do believe there was a story maybe a two or three years back that they are working on a artificial womb and having a good results with it which would be
1: uh, that'd be good
0: it would be an interesting uh thought i know they're probably thinking of it more of a standpoint of being able to grow cl- you know clones or something like that but if mm-hmm. if something were to happen to a mother where she could not carry her child to term and it for her reason and not for the child's reason then they could yeah. deliver the baby and put it in an artificial womb and bring it to full term i think that that kind of thing is is a really great idea. It's very interesting. I'm going going a little bit off on a bunny trail here but I was just there was this debate that rose on Twitter today. Um there was a screaming liberal, you can't call her anything else, who she made the comment And I'm going to have to take the language out of it. A fetus is not a baby. A fetus is not an unborn or a preborn baby or child. If your goal is to legislate medical care, you have to use medical terminology. And I will effing call you out each time and every time. So um, Mm. her name is Jennifer Gunter. And it created this massive discussion going on on Twitter. I read it for quite a ways. And I, it came up because Ben Shapiro had twi- tweeted back the actual definition of fetus, which is, believe it or not, a preborn baby. So mm. in any dictionary you turn to says that a fetus is a preborn baby. So I don't know where she gets her idea that that's not what a fetus is. But it brings up that whole terminology. Of one of the comments that I saw come in was, "Until you can find a way to bring a a fetus to maturity." Um, outside of a mother's womb, then it's not. This was a progressive who had posted it, something to yeah. the order of um, that you have no right to say what a woman should, whether a woman could get rid of it or not. And to me, I think an artificial womb is a great idea because it would provide life for babies that yeah. wouldn't otherwise be brought to term. I don't know that it's a good option to prevent abortion though, because I think abortion is the willful destruction of a consequence of your own choices. So I think the, the guilt there is on you for making choices that put you in a position that you didn't want to be in. So, yeah, but I, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, the the abortion debate does fall so close in with the cloning debate because it is a lack of, of respect for life. That's what it boils yeah. down to.
1: Yeah. It's, I'm glad that, you know, we've got our hands full with abortion, <laughs> Yeah. I'm glad we don't have to worry about cloning for now.
0: Or hopefully we. it's not... Ha- like I said, hopefully it's not happening some in some secret lab somewhere and, and they're getting away with it. North but Korea. Yeah. It brings us back to two verses that we've probably harped on in umpteen million podcasts. Well, we haven't done mm. that many podcasts, but... <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> 90, 96 before this.
0: Yeah. We've probably touched on these verses at least a few times uh, in all yeah, of those oh, episodes um the first one is train up a child in the way he should go and that's um proverbs 22 6 uh the promises that when he is old he will not depart from it i think that that gets twisted sometimes out of what it actually means but it is a reminder that we are to be actively training our children in the way that we want them to go in christ and that that at least will uh, remove the guilt from us if they go a different way then it's not it's not mm. on us anymore we we trained them the right way and then the reminder uh, of romans three twenty three that we have all sinned against god and that our sinful nature yeah. is what separates us from god and so we have this um, situation where we are born um, the the DNA is in our DNA. We are sinners. We are born sinners and we have yep. no claim on God and we have no claim on goodness. And we cannot there, as, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, there is no one good but God. So we have this shortness of our lifespan in that we are um, lost and need a savior. And that is. The reminder that we have that we have all sinned and it doesn't matter how good our nurture is, how good our environment was, how good our parents are. They can't get us into heaven. We have to go through the blood of Christ and accept that we are sinners and uh, ask for forgiveness for our sins and repent and turn away from it and go a different direction which i think is what henry was wanting to do in this movie uh we get the feeling we go back to that first quote that i gave um that deep down his soul he feels like his soul is hurt and he just wants some peace and that's where we find our peace
1: just missing that one piece you know that (laughs) that god-shaped peace
0: yes a god-shaped peace yeah So there is probably a few more things we could talk about in this movie. I I know that there's some government stuff in there. If we wanted to go political, there's, you know, corruption and Uh, all kinds of stuff in there that we could talk about. There's one thing that could probably even tag this down is at the end was, you know, that whole concept of. Henry trying to prevent Junior from making decisions in which he prevented Junior from killing Varys and killed him himself. And yeah. I think that that was his first step to saying, you know, you don't want to grow up the way I you don't want the experiences I've had. Let me protect you from them. And yeah,
1: it's, it, that's exactly what he was doing. He was yeah protecting Junior. Yeah. because Varys Varys needed to go. Yes. He was above. He was in. In the framework of the movie, he was above the law and needed to die. Yeah. Honestly, I think that I felt this movie was much better than you did. Mm-hmm. When I say much better, I don't think it was a great movie. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> you it was I still good. think I, I, I have a higher okay. opinion
1: of it yeah. than <laughs> than you do. Um, I'd be interested in if anybody else had seen the movie, what their general thoughts were, if they thought it was an okay movie, or if, or if you know they they walked out or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which it sounds like a lot of people were not very happy with this movie, so it's, yeah, it's not getting the best reviews, and which could actually affect our listenership on this on this episode—people not going to see it. But um, mm. uh, if if you have listened to our podcast and haven't seen the movie yet, it might be worth you know getting it on you know, DVD, like checking out of the library, maybe.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't spend a lot of money on don't this spend one.
0: A lot of money on it. Yeah. But you can comment on the show notes, which will be at com slash 97. The Facebook group you can find at com slash community, or you can just look for us on Facebook. Uh, you can send your e- emails to feedback at com, or you can call us and leave a voicemail at 513-818-2959. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Twitter at e Franklin.
1: And I am at an- Renchepley R E N C H E P L E,
0: and we would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And I will also um, ask that you consider supporting us on Patreon. It's um, we only we're down to three supporters now, and I mm-hmm. they're they're uh, diehards, and I really appreciate their support. Craig Hardy, uh, Stephen Brown the second, Peter Chapman. Uh, i just really really appreciate the fact that they have stuck with us for so long and continue to support us thank you gentlemen so much um we really would appreciate for more patrons to step up and help us cover the costs uh doesn't have to be a large gift um you know yeah, two dollars five dollars whatever you can give a couple um, of
1: dollars a month would be helpful even yeah yeah it all adds up
0: it, uh, it does add up believe it or not uh and um so just really appreciate uh, those who, that are supporting us, and we would love to get your feedback. So j- just because we, we rattled this off at the end of, of every episode doesn't mean that it's automatic for us. We are actually active in our community on Facebook, and we would love to interact with you and talk with you and get your feedback. So please come join us. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch.